Hi, thanks for checking out this message from our River Valley Church family here in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages and inspires you. For more messages, be sure to check out our other podcasts. For more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. Good morning, River Valley. How are we doing? Good. So much of a privilege to be here, I think. Um, I say that because if you had to follow a preaching team like this, you might be a bit intimidated. This in itself is a test of identity. And so I just want to say thank you so much to Pastor Tim and just the tremendous uh, words that he's given us and Pastor Zach and um, just laying that foundation as we look at the book of Ephesians. A city about the size of Boise on the coast, um, a very, um, really wicked city in many ways. Um, The believers were Gentiles, Uh, most of them were slaves, and they struggled with knowing who they were in Christ, just like we do. And probably here in the West, in America, I think we struggle with identity more than most places in the world. Uh, You would think that with all of the um, information and the things that we have, that we would be more confident. But whatever um, profession that you look at, and sometimes as a retired pastor, looking at other pastors, some of the more insecure people in the world, to be honest. And that's a tragedy because as believers, we ought to be the most secure and the most strong in our faith. But the Apostle Paul understood how foundational that this was and how much that until they understood who they were in Christ, they could not become who God really said that they were. There's a lot of voices that try to keep us from being able to see ourselves. They're authored by the enemy, who is the accuser of the brethren, and he does everything possible to keep you from seeing yourself as God sees you. Because when you see yourself like God sees you, you are his greatest threat. And you are unstoppable. He cannot interfere with your life. And He understands that relationship really is built upon people having a a strong identity. Because when you're insecure, when you are ashamed, when you are trying to up uh, somebody else, you destroy relationship in that process. But when you come to this place of knowing who you are and you're secure in that, you're free to love. You're free to care about others and to focus on them. And that's the, the... goal, I guess you could say, that God has for us is that we would be in relationship both with him and, uh, and with others in a very healthy kind of way. I don't know about you, but I've heard the term <clears throat> finding your identity in Christ um, probably most of my life. But I found it really to be kind of a, a cliche, you know, a Christian cliche. We have lots of Christian cliches. And really what that means is it's in here but it's not in here. We get it in our head, we kind of understand the concept, um, but being able to really experience it, to live it, to believe it, to stand in it, is a whole different story. And it was interesting as I was preparing this week, I I just felt like the Lord said that there are some of you, um, 
and I'll just include myself in that, who have struggled with this all your life, and God's going to bring, he's going to bring a breakthrough. So I, I just encourage you, if, if this is something that really resonates with you, that you'd press in to the Lord and, and receive, because he has that for you. I, I was thinking that this message, we probably should just go home because it's kind of redundant from worship. I mean, this worship spirit, if you believe half of what you sang today, we should just go home. You know that song, I'm No Longer a Slave? <clears throat> it's not really a worship song because it's more about us than is God. However, I felt like the Father said that he was just so pleased In hearing us, he clicked that. It was like it just touched his heart. Sorry. One of the liabilities of the presence of God is I cry. So, sorry. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> we need to distinguish between identity and idolatry. You see, our identity can only be found in who God says we are. That's the only place that we can have a true identity. Now, there's many, many places that we try to find identity. Uh, it can be in our successes. It can be in our wealth, our material accumulation, the vehicles we drive, the houses we live in. It's very subtle but it can very much be our identity. It can be in our achievements, our accomplishments, in our status, even in our roles, say as a father or a wife or a mom, a pastor. Those can be an idolatrous thing for us. And we say, that is who I am. Body image, whether we're fat skinny, whether we're handsome, like Pastor Tim, or not so, our abilities, our intellect, all of those things can be a false identity, and that is idolatry. And so, even those, many of those things are good things, you know, being a father, being a husband, being a mom, being a dad. Those are really great things. But if you find your identity in it, or if you judge people who you do not think measure up in those categories, you are thinking in an idolatrous type of way. Thinking, speaking of that, as we're talking about this series, we've talked about you're chosen, we've talked about you're adopted, we've talked about you're forgiven, you're redeemed, you're saved, all of those things Today, we're going to be talking about you are new. And so I'd like us to stand together. Uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 32. And uh, I just want us to, as we read this first portion, uh, just to stand and just um, give honor to the Word of God. And here is, this is a reading from the New Living Translation. It says, with the Lord's authority, let me say this. Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. 
they, their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and have hardened their hearts against him. They don't care about right and wrong, and they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. Father, we ask this morning that you, by your Holy Spirit, would bring revelational understanding. <clears throat> that, God, you'd move this truth from our heads to our hearts. That, Lord, you would move it from being just the Christian cliché to something that we experience, that we live, that we walk in, in a place of, of confidence, a place of victory, like we've never walked in before. And so, Lord, we just, again, thank you so much for your word, and we just thank you for your Holy Spirit that is able to apply it and to transform our hearts and our thinking. And we just receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul doesn't mince any words in this passage as we've just read that. There's some very, very strong statements that he makes. He says they're hopelessly confused. Um, the English Standard and the New American uh, Standard Bible use the word uh, futility of their minds uh, or fertility of their thinking. The NIV uh, uses that phrase. But it, but it comes from a very specific uh, Greek word, that really is about being void of aim uh, or direction, uh, just kind of going without that. And that really describes the person who, who does not know their identity. And as we know our identity, we become more focused, we become more um, dedicated, as it were, to the things of God and to the, the priority of the kingdom of God. Uh, the futility of the world's thinking uh, is, is many, many faceted, but, but just some of the things, part of it is this belief that I am on my own, um, that I have nobody to rely upon but myself. And, and that is something that is deeply ingrained uh, in us, especially in Western culture. Um, only the strong survive kind of thinking. And yet we see that Jesus uh, ministered to the broken. He ministered to the, the people of society that others had given up on. They would be considered the weak. They weren't the type A personalities, the strong, the, the people like the Pharisees. But he actually scolded them, but he gave hope to those who felt like they didn't have it together. It didn't feel like they were able to be able to do it. But the important part of this passage of Scripture really is the how-to. And I think that's why sometimes uh, things become a Christian cliche is because we don't really know how to apply them. We don't really know how to put them into our lives. And so in verse 20, uh, Paul, he's contrasting this worldly way of thinking to the way that we should think as believers. And he says, but that isn't what you were taught. As, as a believer, you don't think in this futility of, of mind. You don't think that you're on your own. You don't uh, come up with these kind of uh, ways of thinking. But he says, when you learned about, uh, you were, uh, let me just start over again, but, but that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ, since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus. 
Throw off your old nature, your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. You know, I think we probably need to say that together, don't we? Let's just say that together. Uh, and we're going to start with, I am a new person. You ready? I am a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? I mean, in your head, you say, yeah. But in your heart, does that resonate with, yes, that is who I am. See, the kingdom way of life or the Jesus-shaped way of living is, again, a completely different way of thinking. It, is, it, it, it doesn't even, um, it makes sense to us at times. It seems counterintuitive. And Paul is trying to really unpack this. And so he uses, again, a very specific Greek word that talks about making this simple. He says it's just like changing clothes. It's just like taking off some old clothes and putting on some new clothes. That's, that's the, the analogy that he's trying to simplify and just make this something that they can, can get a hold of. And it, it just gives us great insight into what it means to be in Christ and what that actually looks like. That we can change our identity by changing the way we think. Now, fashion, as you can tell, I'm trying to make a fashion statement today. And I, I've been given so much flack in wearing these because I've decided this is the most comfortable apparel that you can wear. I mean, it's just great. You don't have a belt to hold your belly up, you know? It's just like, it's just way better to be able to wear something like this. But, you know, people, they say, well, did you just get off work? No, I'm, this is my day off and this is what I'm wearing, you know? Are you kind of going back to your farmer roots? No. This is what I enjoy. Now, I told Kate, Kate's uh, uh, husband, um, who passed away, <laughs> in words here, who is a very good friend of mine, uh, always told me I should wear bibs to preach in. And so this is in honor of Steve, uh, because I, I actually never had the guts to do it. Um, but, you know, there's lots of saying about, you know, dress for success and, and, um, you know, that's, I'm dressing for success, Terry, so I just want you to know. Uh, but many of you have been judging me this morning, <laughs> haven't you? How, many of you? how many of you have been judging me? Nobody's, oh, we got one, two, three, okay, we got a couple people who are honest, you've been judging me. And so, okay, we need to put this in context with the scripture because one of them Important parts of exegesis. If it didn't mean that to them, it can't mean that to us, right? You know, we do it. But but clothes have always meant a lot. I mean, from the Garden of Eden and the in the fig leaves, you know, on from then on, clothes have always been important. The priests, for example, was very very specific and very uh, symbolic in what they wore. And of course, there was kings and in different uh, roles of society dressed different ways. Did you know that beggars' clothes in Romans' time were very, very specific? And uh, 
they were actually a meal ticket. If you look at Mark chapter 10, blind Bartimaeus, uh, he's calling out to Jesus, and Jesus invites him to come. And it's interesting, the scripture says he threw off his cloak and came to Jesus. But you see, what that meant was he had been given a special cloak by the Roman government that really gave him license to beg, is really what it did. So he was throwing off his meal ticket and his identity when he ran to Jesus. So when Paul talks about this whole idea of, of taking off and putting on, it resonated with them. Jesus told the parable of the wedding. Remember the parable of the wedding? And it's kind of interesting because it doesn't seem even to fit that much, but he's, he's telling about those who are invited, those who uh, didn't come because they were too busy. But then in the middle of that, he says, and they've spotted this guy who did not have wedding clothes on. And the reaction is extreme and harsh. It says, throw him into outer darkness. Because it's more than the clothes. It's about who we see ourselves. And it's our identity. Am I a farmer? Uh, Ashley said, looks like you're from Mississippi. <laughs> and so we, we have all kinds of preconceived ideas of, of what that looks like. But what I call it is, is uh, this, what, what it leads to is this try harder gospel. And... You know, we, we teach that we're saved by grace, but sometimes we kind of miss the message that we continue by grace, and we think we have to change ourselves, okay? Okay, I was forgiven at the cross, and now I need to get my act together, and I need to shape up or ship out. I need to snap out of it in Jesus' name or whatever kind of... A, analogy you, you want to do. But there's this idea that I've got to make it happen. And so we get into this, what I call vow failure cycle. And so we feel convicted of a particular sin. And, and God begins to work. And that's a, it's a God thing. But our response to that is what I call false repentance. Is we make a vow, God, I'll never do that again. You know, maybe... Uh, an addiction. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be pornography or whatever. Or it could be just a, a, a sin of whatever choosing that you have. But you say to yourself, I'm not going to do that again. Now, what does that lead to? It leads to inevitable failure. Right? Because you cannot change yourself. You cannot just decide to do it because it's your heart that needs to be changed and only God can change your heart. So you, you inevitably fail and then what do you do? You feel condemned, you feel shamed, you know, and so what do you do? You make another vow. And that cycle, as this next graphic shows, just goes round and round and round and the enemy is just laughing and enjoying the show. And you are a sincere Christian. You are, you are one of the good guys. You're the one that's, you know, pressing into God because others have given up. Others have said, the heck with this. I'm not going to do this anymore. And, and personally, I think that's why there's many who have deconstructed their faith and they've walked away from the church 
because they haven't really gotten the true gospel that we have, past tense, been made new. Just like we sang. And it's, it's something that God has got to get inside. Religion will trap you in that cycle. And it's, it, again, it's a false repentance, and it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, okay, very simply, what you need to do is you need to take off. Now, this is the first stripping picture you've probably seen. <laughs> but I want to give you a, a visual. I do have pants on. Thank God. Somebody, somebody was worried there. In fact, Pastor Tim said, make sure you got your pants on. So you take this off, and voila, you have a totally different image. Right? Now you guys can listen to me, because I'm a real preacher. You know, you go into a store, and you're in a business suit, compared to wearing bib overalls, you're treated different. But the issue isn't about how others see you as much as how you see yourself. Because how you see yourself is how you think about what God thinks about you. Romans chapter 12 in verse 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Isn't that just so clear? Let God change you and make you a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect His will really is. It's not a way of frustration. And many people see the Christian walk as a walk of frustration. I can't attain, I can't achieve, I can't be good enough, I don't pray enough, I don't read my Bible enough, etc., etc. That's futility of mind. That's a futility of thinking. That's the old way of thinking. The Phillips uh, translation says, don't let the, the world squeeze you into its mold. And so you have to break out of that. You have to think in a different way. See, any religion can put together a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, but only the gospel makes us new from the inside out, changes our hearts, and empowers us with a whole new identity. That is the gospel. And that's what Paul was so passionate for the Ephesians to be able to get a hold of and to be able to understand. You see, Satan knows better than we that if we don't see ourselves as God sees us, that we're done, that, that we are just cut off at the knees, that we, we just have no power. So he does everything he can. From the moment that you were conceived, did you know from the moment you were conceived, he was strategizing ways to undermine you? They say that even babies that are in their mother's womb can hear, like, for instance, a mother that uh, had an unexpected pregnancy or, or wanted to have a boy instead of a girl or, or etc. That that actually makes an imprint upon the baby in the womb. And so there's, there's that 
continual messing with identity. Do you think we're being messed with our identity in this culture, in this day and age? It's happening big time. Because Satan knows if he can confuse your identity, he can take away your power. He can take away your authority. And so this, again, this futility of thinking has to be replaced with a Holy Spirit thinking, with, with the gospel kind of thinking. Uh, Lydia read this, a portion of the scripture uh, already trying to steal my thunder. But 2 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 5 uh, and I'm going to start with verse 16. It says, so we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though we were merely a human, that he were merely a human being, how differently I think about him now. Now, let me, let me just take you this. See, we, we say, well, I just want to be a realist. You know, I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I'm and, and we think of every negative thing and everything that we're not. And we let that be our definition of our identity. But there's, there's a kingdom way of thinking that is different. And so he goes on, he says, what this means is that those who become Christians uh, become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone, the new life has begun. Those of you who are more familiar with the authorized translations, for any man would be in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Now that feels, again, like can that really be true? I tell you, I inserted, at least mentally in my mind, a phrase in there that says, is becoming new. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. You know, if you go to the Greek, you know what it says? Has become new, past tense, done, finished. Now, how do I reconcile that with the fact I'm not perfect? How do I reconcile that that I'm not just like Jesus? We see, we, again, if we, the, 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 I think ESV says we know no one according to the flesh. That, that's first, or Second Corinthians uh, five sixteen. We we don't look at a person according to what we see, what we sense, what we feel, what we perceive, because that is not accurate. Even as Jesus, he was the Son of God. He had created the world. He'd spoken it into existence. And here, these guys are walking alongside of Jesus, and he looks and feels just like an ordinary human being. Yeah, he did some miracles, and he spoke some things that were deep and wise and all that kind of stuff. But they had no idea of really who he was. Paul says, on that same vein, you and I do not know who each other is by just looking at one another, by just evaluating according to what we see and understand. There's something that is supernatural there because the Word says that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we are chosen, that we are blessed, that we are saved, that we are forgiven, that we're gifted, that we're made new, that we're victorious, and yet we don't treat each other that way often. True? 
And we certainly don't treat ourselves that way. And again, because this is so counterintuitive, we think, well, how can this be? But just because you act some way, that doesn't mean who you are. You know, even the person who, who steals something, does that make them a thief? Well, technically. But that's not necessarily their nature. Maybe it's the first time they did something. It wasn't something of their nature. They just did that. Or somebody tells a lie. Does that make them a liar? Now, I've known liars, and it's like you didn't know. You could always tell whether they're lying because their lips were moving. You know what I mean by that, okay? That was just deeply in their nature, as it were. But just because somebody says something that's not true doesn't make them a liar. And there is a nature that God has put inside of us that is contrary to what we can see that says you are new, you are redeemed, you are saved, you have been given a whole new nature. So we have to ask ourselves, who are we going to listen to? Who are we going to listen to? See, unless we are renewing our minds by reading and meditating on the Word and asking God, who am I and how do you see me? And who are they and how do you see them? I'm going to come up with a false image of myself. And you can't relate with a false image. He goes on here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Isn't that powerful when you think about it in that context? Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give the, no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief steal, uh, no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as a good, as good for building up as fits the occasion, and that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So does behavior matter? You betcha. Behavior really does matter. But behavior changes when the belief in who we are changes. That always comes first. And so you see the Apostle Paul, he's, he's talking about this thing of taking off and putting on before he ever comes to the list. Because he knows that the transformation is going to come as we begin to see ourselves in Christ as righteous and holy and pure and, and in right standing before him. I've got a little video of my grandson, one of my other grandsons, Sterling. His dad takes him. Okay. we got to get a video or a sound on this thing here. Can we uh, get some sound and sound us up? Sound up. I'm special, okay, let's I'm start. smart, I'm kind, and I'm handsome, and I'm strong. Do you believe it? Yes. I'm special. Now, his dad, Seth, takes him to school every day. And he has him repeat that. He's preparing him for junior high. <laughs> right? Where there will be an onslaught on his image. 
and his value like nothing else. But as he says that, and as he declares that, something is getting in his spirit. How many of you know that we need to do that ourselves? We need to stand in front of the mirror and declare who God says we are and being able to do that. You see, Romans 4, 16, Paul, again, is writing all of these. He's wrote to the Romans and he's wrote to the Ephesians. This is so deep into his heart. He says, so that's why faith is the key. He's talking about this thing of, of works and, and keeping the law versus faith. He says, that's why faith is the key. God prom God's promise is given to us as a free gift. And as we are certain to receive it, whether or not we follow Jewish customs, if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God, now listen to this, who brings the dead back to life and brings into existence what didn't exist before. So the, the righteousness that you do not see yet manifested in your life, as you begin to declare that, God is the one who brings back the dead and declares that which did not exist. And that's why the Father is blessed when we say, I'm no longer a slave to fear. He says, You're, you know, the, uh, oh, it was a movie reference, and I can't think of the movie now, so forget it. <laughs> the red pill, green pill thing. The Matrix. When he's fighting, he says he's finally getting it. That's the Christian. When you begin to finally get it, when you begin to finally believe, then the grace of God begins to kick in and you begin to work in a whole different way because God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey Him and the power to please Him. You see, we can only change the way we think by focusing on what God says rather than what we see and what we think. Pastor Tim had brought up this book, uh, Living Fearless by Jamie Winship. And I would, I would highly recommend that you would pick up this book because it is a practical guide to help you be able to see your identity. Incredible story about this man, and I'm not going to do it, but I do want to tell a story that he tells on a podcast about his son. And this is the power of being able to hear from God what he says about you and step into it. So he says to his son, I think he was like sixth grade, he said, uh, I want you to spend some time with God and ask him who he says you are. And so the, his son comes back to him about a week later. He says, Dad, I think I know who I am and what, what God has for me. He says, well, what is that, son? He says, a, a skateboarder. Now, he, he had to kind of suppress a smile and he kind of, you know, inside thought, yeah, right. Because his son was not an athlete, was not necessarily very coordinated, had never skateboarded in his life. But Jamie said, you know, if God spoke that to you, we're going to buy you a skateboard. Found him a, a used skateboard, and this kid became relentless. He would fall and crash, and his, his dad said it was just... 
It was painful to watch him. But he said to his dad, you know, can't learn if you don't experience a little pain. He's like, wow, this kid's getting it. If he can get that much of it, it's great. Well, by eighth grade, he had actually become very accomplished at skateboarding. And his dad, who was in the CIA, was called to go back to Iraq in the middle of the war and bring his whole family. And so he, he told his son that they were going back to Iraq, and he says, well, Dad, what about what God's spoken to me about being a skateboarder and, and all of that? I mean, there, is there a place to skateboard in Iraq? He says, well, probably not, son. It's a war zone. So they go there, and, and he's going down the street, you know, kind of just tooling with his skateboard. And a, a U.S. tank comes around the corner, and it comes up alongside of him, and a bunch of blonde-haired California National Guardsmen stepped out of the tank. And he says, son, what are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to do a little skateboarding. He says, oh, we got a place for you. He says, down over here, there's this huge park with water fountains and basins, and they've drained it because of the war. They don't have the money to keep the water fountains going, but it would be a perfect place to skateboard. And by the way, we guard that park, and so you'd be safe. So he goes into this park, you know, and he's skateboarding. And pretty soon, all these little Iraqi kids are coming. And, and, and he's showing them and teaching them. And then his little brother sends a letter to a skateboard magazine to, tell, to write a story about it. And the skateboard magazine gets so excited that they send him thousands of dollars worth of skateboards. Telling these Iraqi kids about Jesus. Skateboarding with them. Is that a God thing? The story didn't end there. I think it was Red Bull or one of those. Found out about it. And they said, hey, kid, we're going to sponsor a Middle East skateboard tournament. And we'd like to sponsor you. So they do. He wins the championship. Then they move to Jordan. And well, back to ground zero, no skateboard place. But he found this roundabout, had some rails and some things he could use, and he starts playing on there, and the police show up. He said, kid, what are you doing? Just trying to find a place to skateboard. Oh, really? Uh, we'll change the traffic pattern so that you can skateboard here safely. So a bunch of... Jordan kids come. He's leading them to Jesus. Teaching them how to skateboard. Doesn't end there. Goes to college, gets his business degree. Opens up a skateboard company. And the king of Jordan donates land. For him to build a skate park. Now, I don't know what God's going to do in your life. But that gives you a sample of what he will do in you. If you will take hold of who he says you are. And you will believe it with your whole heart. And you'll begin to walk in that kind of victory.
and saying, God, this is who I am. And I am not going to listen to the enemy. I'm not going to listen to the naysayers. I'm not going to listen to the people that are speaking contrary to the voice of God. But I will take the time to press in and say, God, what are you saying about me? Who, you, who do you say I am? What is your calling on my life? What it does is it puts us into the grace of God. It puts us into a place where God can release his power in a new way. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, he said, it is finished. It is finished. You are made new. You are a new creation. Now let my power flow through you. So that can be manifested, that you can bring glory and honor to me. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to single you out, but I do. <laughs> because I felt like when the Lord said um, that there's some of you that have struggled with this and, and you really want breakthrough, I want to pray for you. But I want you to stand up. I want you just to stand right now and say, you know, this message really spoke to me and I think God wants to bring a whole new breakthrough in my life in this area of identity. And if that's you, I just want you to simply just stand to your feet and I want to just, just pray over you. Thank you, Lord. Father, I'm standing here myself. Because, Lord, I just know that there's so much more in giving me that clear, crystal understanding of how you see me. Lord, you spoke to me a long time ago, 20 years ago, that I'll never become what you see me until I see myself as you see me. And I pray, Lord, for these who are standing today, Lord, they're bold. They're, they're going after it. They don't care what other people think of them. They're saying, Lord, I want to take hold of the identity and the call that you have on my life. I want to experience that boldness, that confidence, that deep faith that will go against the things that are not, believing that you are the God who's able to make them happen. So, Lord, I pray that today, that, Lord, again, the revelation of this, Lord, for all of us, would just go deep into our spirits. That the revelation, the understanding, the conviction, the boldness would go deep, deep into us. But Lord, especially those who have just taken a step of faith and say, Lord, I need that download. I need that revelation. Lord, I break off the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. I cancel the schemes of the enemy that, Lord, maybe from a very young age said to them, you'll never amount to anything. 
You're a loser. You're a failure. You'll never change. I break those lies in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just speak your word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, even right now, we just, just as we just take a moment of silence, that Lord, as we just say, Lord, how do you see me? You would just begin dropping a word right now. Yes, Lord. Lord, just, just say that with me. Lord, how do you see me? Lord, you're giving people pictures right now. You're giving them words. Thoughts are coming to mind, Lord. Lord, give them the grace to grasp hold of them, to write them down, to begin to stand on them, to, to begin to declare them, to begin to, to speak to other people about them. Lord, put it in their heart. Put it in their spirit. Make it a reality. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we just pray for your church. Lord, let your church arise in its true identity. Let it shake off all worldliness and worldly pursuits. Lord, the futility of thinking, the futility of mind, the confusion, the hopelessness. Lord, let us shake that off and walk, Lord, as new creations, holy, righteous, and pure before you. Lord, thank you for that work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, let's all stand together. Thanks again for listening to this message from River Valley Church. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by it? Make sure to share it with them this week. Again, for more content from us, please check out our website at rivervalleyboise.com.